The CEO Roundtable brings together operations professionals at the top of their game to define and explore what it means to be highly effective in a scale-up organization. And what sits at the heart of it is highly curated peer-to-peer roundtables where CEOs talk about things that matter. I absolutely love my roundtable. We've been together for about two years, and without exaggeration, I have made friends for life. To find out more, go to coroundtable.com. That's coroundtable.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Operations Room, a podcast for COOs. I am Brandon Mensinger, joined by Bethany Ayers. How are things going, Bethany? Going really well. Thanks, Brandon. I'm enjoying the summer, even though I'm sure it's no longer the summer when people are hearing this. But, you know, surprise, we don't record on the week. But you have the good fortune of being in Alicante versus being in London right now. So I suspect your summer experience is different than ours. This is why I wasn't stressed about the entire summer in the UK, where there's just been no sun since June. Completely different here. Sunshine all the time. But anyhow, you know, I'm sure it's like September, October. We're all a bit sad. The sun has gone away. Let's maybe talk about something else today. How are you doing, Brandon? I am great. There was something that occurred to me uh, this past week, which is I've been thinking a lot about this idea of efficiency in my life right now because I have a lot of stuff that I need to get done. And I've just come to a true appreciation of my barber, my local barber. Coming from North America, you have to go to a hairdressing shop where you have to schedule appointments and the appointments really take some time because they do a bunch of extra things. They wash your hair, they, they give you a miniature massage on your head, this, that, and the other, which is great. But now that I've actually experienced the barber in London, it is phenomenal in terms of efficiency because from my house, it's two minutes away, I get to that shop and the guy literally does my hair in about eight minutes, doesn't talk to you, he just does his job. And he puts out his hand afterwards, you give him 10 pounds, and you're out the door, essentially. And for me, personally, all this wraps up in about 15 minutes, and I can do it whenever I want to, and it's done. So I can actually get a haircut when I need to get a haircut. I think I might have to get the details for your hairdresser. My youngest just absolutely hates getting his hair done and it's taking any amount of time at all. When he was little, we took him to the hairdressers and he got his hair cut. He just was crying and he had tears streaming down his face. We still don't know to this day why. <laughs> and he came out and he just turned to my husband and went, this is an example of you paying money to make my life worse. And so this has just become a phrase in our family now. Wow. Okay. Yes. As a parent, this feels like a inescapable inevitability. My six-year-old daughter had a similar reaction to being booked into a strings camp to play the ukulele for two weeks. So with that, we've got a really uh, interesting topic today, which is generative AI and the impact on the CEO role. We have a wonderful guest, an AI expert, and Artie Samani that's going to join us in a few minutes. But I guess what I wanted to kick off with, Bethany, was this idea that there is a potential gold mine of efficiency gains possible from generative AI in a way that was not possible before. And, you know, I was listening to a YouTube video this morning from this fellow named Mike uh, Pallet from MedicSpot, and he has done a change transformation within his organization using ChatGPT and applying the use cases across his company. And what he talked about specifically was that there is upwards of a 20% efficiency gain across role types that is possible. And the reality that he was kind of admitting in the podcast was that the real range is roughly between 5 to 20%, depending on the role type, because obviously some roles get more benefit from chat GPT than others. But anyway, you slice it, that's pretty significant. And I guess the question to you or the thought to you kick us off with is that you can take a reactive approach to what's happening right now, in my view, 
as one avenue, which is the fact of the matter is SaaS tooling that is out there, or SaaS tooling that you license, is going to have generative AI features included in those products at some point down the road. So as an example, Intercom for customer support, they've got generative AI now as a feature in that product to really make their customer support much more automated in a lot of ways, and that's fantastic. And this is really the, the lazy approach, I would say, to tapping into generative AI in some respects. The other approach really is this pallet approach, which is being much more proactive and really looking pure play at the chat GPT application, the public-facing one, and saying to yourself, look, let's take that and let's apply that to the organization holistically across the company. And I guess my question to you at the outset is, what do you make of this, both in terms of the possible efficiency gains that were talked about, but also the approach that one might think about or consider? Because I don't think either of these approaches is the wrong approach, to be honest. I agree. I think it's inevitable. You'll be working with generative AI, whether you want to or not, because your SaaS tools or our SaaS tools will have them. The way I would approach it is there will be people in your organization who are super excited and playing with it and thinking about it and following their lead. So rather than necessarily me being the one that has to sit down and think about the strategy is find those people in the the company who are super excited and listen to what they have to say maybe create a task force and point them in the direction of, you know, fill your boots. What is it that you want to do here? And let them gather the information and then help them shape a strategy. Yeah, that makes sense. So really do it organically, which is certain people in the company are going to be very interested in chat GPT generically. And as a leader of the business, uh, really take that bottom-up approach to really tap into that excitement, that passion. And really from a leadership standpoint, just saying to them, acknowledging that, A, that's okay. B, more importantly, we can actually help you, enable you, and we're willing to do that. And just purely as an example, we're willing to pay for a license for ChatGPT Plus, which is roughly 20 bucks a month as an example, saying, look, we'll give you a budget for that. We do all hands meetings every month. We can do a bit of showcasing around some of the interesting use cases that you're working on, whereby we can take your excitement and passion, your use cases that you're actually getting value from, and really get the rest of the company to be exposed to that excitement and that passion And in a way, what you're trying to do is really create an amplifying effect to get more generative AI impact and efficiency within your company off the back of those initial interested folks. My approach to almost everything is to find the least friction or the friction-free way of doing it. And I suspect that every organization have people who are super excited and already spending a lot of time doing side projects. So tapping into their excitement and having that help the rest of the company. The other thing that I wanted to to briefly mention was a lot of folks are talking about security and confidentiality in relation to chat GPT specifically, which is anything you upload, you have no idea what they're using this information for outside of training the models and so on, obviously. But you really don't control the data at that point. Obviously, you don't want to be uploading any material that is personally identifiable in any form, and equally you don't want to be uploading any company-sensitive information. The thing to think about, I guess, is that really what you're doing is trusting the people within your organization to be sensible about this stuff, perhaps creating a bit of rules of the road around what is personally identifiable information, which the company probably already has, and also maybe a bit of policy around what is company-sensitive information versus what is not. And the company might already have a policy around that perhaps as well. Do you think there's anything else in that pot that is sensible? Or even what I just said, do you think that's a sensible approach? I suspect it's probably going a level further. So there's policies, but then there's also the time to train and explain where the risks could be. Not everybody's going to be thinking through holistically what the risks are. So 
I guess we go back to creating a task force. One of the people on the task force should be your head of security or your CISO or whoever that is, who can be super paranoid for everybody else. Because I'm sure if we had a CISO on here, he would have or she would have so many reasons why nobody should touch ChatGPT in any sort of way. And there's around finding a safe medium. I can imagine that for marketing and anything that's going to end up being externally facing anyhow, there's probably less of a risk than if you're using ChatGPT itself for either creating customer communications, as in like their private information back to them, let's say like weekly reports, or having ChatGPT write code using your own code base that maybe you should not be using publicly available ChatGPT to be doing that. So given any of the heads of security I know, they will be equally excited and have equally as many ideas as to how you should stay safe as people are super excited about generative AI. So just like harness those energies together, let them find some balance in between and then make a first step. That makes sense. Uh, CISOs are always a bit of a drag in that respect, I think, for the organization, but probably sensibly so. So with that, why don't we uh, move over to our chat with Artie Samani. I am pleased to welcome Artie Samani to the operations room to talk about all things AI and what you should be thinking about as a COO. Artie has been working with AI before AI really existed as a concept for 20 plus years, and that's been in the tech and finance industries. AI is just such a massive topic. How, as a smaller company that is tech-enabled, do we get started and how do we think about it? Ultimately, the long-term success will be in looking at an orchestrated platform. And there are tools in the market already, so you don't have to build anything from scratch. An example is Cohere.com. So recently, they introduced a product called Coral, which was powered by AI, and that is exactly the purpose it serves. It ingests data from all the different sources and produces it or processes it in a way that is consumable, that is ingestible by the teams. There will need to be a dismantling of data silos. So all the functional leaders within the business will have to come together and make a contract with each other and with the CEO's office that, yes, we will share our data into a central repository and we will share information and we will work in a collaborative way. It is now not going to be acceptable for engineering leads to have their own data tool versus a revenue lead whose data exists in a different CRM system. So I think that's an interesting point on the data silos. So my experience hasn't been that people are unwilling to share data. Like everybody's like, you know, fine. It's all the same business. My experience has been in owning the quality of the data. And some teams have better data governance and better quality data than other teams. And it's when you're merging those together and you have good data and bad data that the frustration arises. Do you have any ideas on who should own the quality of the data? Is it a functional or is it actually sitting with the COO or CIO? Increasingly, with the proliferation of generative AI, I see this responsibility sitting more and more with the CEO's office. 
typically small businesses don't have a CIO, right? They don't have CSOs either. And all of this is kind of folded under the COO. So a COO might have someone responsible within their team who looks at data governance. And it is that person's job to really look at data across the business to make sure it's clean, it's ingestible, and it feeds into this central system of which everyone is trying to work. Yeah. And maybe just to go back to what Bethany's original question was, every SaaS product that I license right now is going to have some form of generative AI infused within their products. I license 80 products. All 80 products will have generative AI at some point, and I will leverage that when that becomes available. So this is not a huge concern for me right now. And the second part of it is if you can properly have all your audio video calls across the company internally and externally all capture, all transcribed, all archived and available for others to look at. That is like a huge, simple win to be able to access information in a way that we haven't previously. And a lot of those products that are offering that also very much have a generative AI component in terms of summarization of meeting notes and these sorts of things. And then the last one is ChatGPT. So should our team internally be using that for various purposes? And the answer is mostly Yes, and it tends to be much more in you know marketing, messaging. Am I missing something right now just in terms of, is that in your eyes not good enough or we should be doing something different? That is not necessarily the best approach going forward. And there should be guardrails and the COO's office should be installing those guardrails around it. So what I mean by that, the use cases you described used by marketers for messaging, for content, to write press releases used by SDRs for objection handling or for cold calling. Well, that's still sitting in the sales and marketing domain, right? How is that feeding into product strategy? How is that feeding into your strategy for 2024 or for the following year? where the business goes in two or three years' time, how is that feeding into your R&D and engineering strategy? These are still very disparate, very siloed. And this is where the biggest challenge is and also the biggest opportunity, right? Generative AI really offers the opportunity to bring that together, which is what I mean by a central orchestrated system, which combines all these 5,000 SaaS tools that do very different things and have their own generative AI component and are drawing their own insights. So for example, if Salesforce has a gen AI component within it, all that is doing is processing the sales information, is processing customer calls, it's processing the notes that SDRs enter in the same way when an AI meeting note taker, Otter, Fireflies, whatever you use, that tool and the generative AI component within that tool is only processing the meeting notes that is fed into it. What happens to all the meetings that happen internally? One thing that the CEO needs to consider is, do we mandate the rollout of the AI meeting note taker across the business? Should every meeting have a meeting note taker as a default? And then all that data, that then includes research, engineering, product, all that data comes in, then the generative AI within that note taker does something meaningful with it. If you do that, what happens with privacy? What happens with confidentiality? What are the governance processes around it? And that is very much, in my opinion, a COO remit. So they should now be starting to think about what governance processes we put in place, which meetings should be allowed 
which meetings the AI note taker should be allowed in versus not, which marketers should be allowed or which SDR should be allowed to use chat GPT prompts because are they inadvertently feeding confidential information in the prompt with a view to getting a very tailored response? And if so, how are they putting the business at risk? So there is a lot. It's not good enough right now to say, oh, yeah, there are 5,000 SaaS tools here. Every one of them has a generative AI, and we will allow our teams to use that. We will allow our teams to use some of these tools in a protected environment, monitoring, collecting data, and putting governance guardrails around it, feeding into the forward-looking AI strategy. So now on, every business will need to formulate some kind of AI strategy, and that strategy needs to take into account uh, these concerns. And I would still emphasize that longer term, you do want to look at an orchestrated solution. I've been basically out of the working world since most of this has exploded. And so I might not be on the forefront that I would have been a couple months ago. When you talk about, we're going to put all this data together, we're going to have amazing analytics, we're going to know so much because every single one of our meetings has been recorded. Have things actually come on that much in the last six months that you're all going to drive meaningful insights out of all of that data and orchestrated data? Or are you just not going to see something amazing? And really what you should be thinking about in stage one is where it's kind of naturally popping up in terms of automations. And so speeding up people's jobs, but that nirvana that you're talking about is still a while away for making like deep strategic analysis and understanding, like rather than just swimming in data. The landscape is changing so quickly, right? So OpenAI first introduced ChatGPT back at the end of last year, beginning of this year, within the first six, seven months of the year, we have seen multiple iterations of that. And we have seen a whole field of tools claiming to leverage generative AI very, very quickly. It's the fastest we've seen it moving, which means now you have to, it may not be available to give you amazing insights and strategies and allow you to make strategic decisions now. But actually, now is the time to put the infrastructure in place in the business to help you do that. This may be a dumb question, and I'm sure it is. When I think about the existing data warehouses that are in the world, they're sitting there like a snowflake as an example, where largely what you're doing with the snowflake is tracking a lot of numerical data to eventually visualize through Looker or some other platform visualization-wise and do analysis and these sorts of things. And I guess in my imagination, I can imagine a different data warehouse by some other company that basically takes the organization's, in this case, not numbers, but audio, video, text for the organization itself in a warehouse. And similarly with a data warehouse from Snowflake, you would have in-house data science, data engineers, and so on to work with that, probably with some other tool, in this case, not visualization from Looker, but some other application to allow the entire organization to be able to use that that from a generative AI perspective, I suppose. And it seems like there's a space there for products to live, I guess, is maybe your point. And as I'm asking this question, I don't know if it's a ludicrous question or not, actually, but it seems to me that's my imagination of what may occur. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. It is the marriage of the qualitative and quantitative information, which we have never had before, right? And if you look especially at the finance teams, they work almost exclusively of numbers. They don't have 
qualitative information. And it falls to a good CEO or their finance team to sit down with all the functional leaders and get the context, the qualitative information behind their budgets, behind their operating expenses, etc. And all that can be eliminated or reduced to a large extent when you augment this qualitative and quantitative information. How do you get started and the phased approach? Because I think that there's, in terms of a strategy, if I summarize some of what you've said, Artie, what I would do is split it out into phases of what you're looking to achieve. So phase one is around automation. And that's the one to really focus on. Phase two is some sort of enhanced insights. And then phase three is probably really enriched data for proper strategic decision making. We don't really know how long phase one, phase two, and phase three are going to be in the world. But what we do know is technology is moving rapidly and we're going to continue to use data and then with that data, more AI, generative AI to make better decisions. So in terms of focus, focus on automation, quick wins within your automation team, and at the same time, build out the foundation that you need for the longer term. So think about your governance policies. And within that, you're talking about security, you're talking about privacy, and it's not, I don't know if this necessarily fits within governance, but another area is your employee relations. Because what you need to think about is, you know, everybody will hear AI and think, yeah, 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 cool on the outside and on the inside be absolutely freaking out that they're not going to have a job. And so how do you figure out and make people adopt the technologies rather than actively push against them? I'm not even sure if there's a question in there, but I guess it's just trying to pull it from the theoretical a bit into as a resource-strapped startup, scale-up, COO, what do I need to do today? And to Brandon's point, some of it is there's already AI in loads of tools. And then to your point, there's loads of AI in these tools, so you better get some governance in place no matter what you do. I think that would be really helpful is talk about some of the Are there frameworks we can look at? Are there questions we should be asking? How do we build the governance in a way that's forward looking? So talking about practical, right? So if we put sort of the use of AI immediately to the side a little bit, what do we need to start doing immediately? Or what does a CEO need to encourage their teams to start doing? So firstly, upskill yourself. The second thing is start thinking about what new skills we will need to be looking for, how do we craft a learning and development program to either source those skills from the market or if they don't exist, reskill our own team? How do we manage the time or the human resource that will become available as a result of automating some of these things? So like some roles that I'm hearing already uh, starting to be looked for are GPT specialist, prompt engineers, etc. I'm even hearing uh, AI specialist or AI executive offices being hired in the CEO office because they want to dedicate somebody to evaluate tools, to identify pockets of opportunities that they can deploy generative AI. The legal team, which is a very big part of the legal process, will be impacted by generative AI. So how will the contracts need to change? How will we need to take account of IP ownership when content has been generated automatically by machine versus by human beings? So the legal team need to start thinking about it from their perspective. 
And the big piece underpinning all of this will be internal communications. So you have to spend a lot of time as an executive, as a leadership team driven by COO to really position our AI strategy to the staff so they are not freaking out. Already marketers are spooked out because they they are worried, rightly so, that AI will replace their jobs and what will they do about it? Well, if you have the HR head looking at an L&D program, you have a clear message to deliver to the team to say, hey, look, don't worry. Yes, AI will replace some jobs, but with every technological evolution, new jobs are created, new roles are created, and we don't even know what those roles will look like, but you have all our support to help you work in those new roles. So that whole internal communication piece becomes really important. Thanks. I think that makes a lot of sense. And the one piece that I was just thinking we haven't necessarily specifically spoken about, although I guess it was just in my assumption that the first phase is automation, is determining and agreeing why you're doing this. Like, what are the outputs that you're looking for, for embedding more AI in the business? If my team hates doing admin work, if I can take that headache away from there or at least reduce it for them, they'll be happier. They are deploying more of their creativity into doing work that they feel passionate about, right? So from my perspective, and it's just my opinion that I'm always thinking from that perspective. So I want to grow my business. I want to accelerate that growth. I want to get there with the least expense. And in the process, I want to create a team, which is a team of happy experts who bring their best to work, right? And that's why we are doing whatever we're doing. So if spreadsheets can be reduced and we can replace it with more engaging tools, then let's do that. So that's what I would say. I find a lot of CEOs or people in that space, they're very much focused on their jobs, getting their job done and trying to help the organization in whatever way they can right now, given the circumstances of the marketplace. And I think they have a sense of guilt that they should be thinking and doing more in the space. They just don't have the time or the mind share uh, or it feels overwhelming to do so. And they, they end up looking at the LinkedIn scroll. They're like, yeah, it's chat GPT, this, that, and the other. And they, they simply just don't have time to, to really think about it or consider it, I guess. So how would you help that person? What would you, what would you suggest to them in terms of alleviating that guilt? And maybe to Bethany's question, taking a bit of that first step, I guess, because there's a ton of stuff that one can look at when it comes to chat GPT and, you know, experiment obviously with the public facing version of it as well. But how do you help that person? Yeah, that is a classic. Every executive leader finds it's a struggle to carve out time on forward looking, not immediately impacting issues, right? So firstly, a good CEO always needs to carve out thinking time, which is the strategic thinking, right? Quarter four is coming upon us. What are we going to do in the last quarter to set ourselves up for success next year? Start with that. And then all the levers that feed into it, one of those levers or one of those inputs is generative AI and an AI strategy. When you have your company offsites in quarter four, bring your executive team together to be thinking about it. It should be a little bit of a a prep work for everyone. We will carve out two hours to talk about what AI means for us and our business and our product suite and our GTM for next year. That would be my recommendation. So you don't need to feel guilty. Executives, guilt-ridden executives are not productive. 
before we wrap up, you have a wealth of information. You have some really great tips. If anybody would like to work with you, follow you, get in touch, what's the best way for them to do that? You can reach me on LinkedIn, Artie Samani. I'm very, uh, my profile is uh, publicly available or drop me an email. It's artisamani at gmail.com. So very easy to get hold of me, LinkedIn or direct email. And I look at every email. I look at every LinkedIn message uh, that I receive. Perfect. Thank you very much, Artie, for joining us on the Operations Room. And if you like what you hear, please subscribe or leave us a comment. And we will see you next week. 